Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. Okay, several um, months ago I did a, uh, this is a similar type of Bible study, a PowerPoint Bible study where uh, there are a lot of scriptures that I go through and uh, just pray that I get through this. <laughs> uh, but I did one a while back, What is a Christian? And I thought this one, uh, I would do what is baptism, since uh, it's, it's a critical issue. And uh, so we're going to go through this. And I looked up the word, you know, wh what is baptism or something like that, or baptism. I looked it up on Google. And of course, this was the answer. It says, in the Christian church, the religious rite of sprinkling water onto a person's forehead or Im immersion in water symbolizing purification or regeneration uh, and an admission to the Christian church. In many denominations, baptism is performed on young children and is accompanied by name giving. Now, if I had a big gong up here, right now I'd just go up here and hit it and say, wrong, you know, you about got all that one all wrong. A few points that may be right. Um, sprinkling, incorrect, wrong, uh, admission to a church, wrong, uh, performed on young children, wrong, and name giving, I can't really tell you what that's about. Uh, I know that when Christ returns, he says he's going to give a new name, but I didn't think that occurred at baptism. Uh, although I guess if, if you want it to, maybe it's okay. Now this is something that we do, a tradition that we do at the Feast of Tabernacles, it's called the blessing of the little children. And as you see there, there's a couple ministers and, and, and the little children are being blessed there. And uh, it's, it's um, you know, Jesus said this. He said, suffer the little children to come unto me, for forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. So this is where we get this tradition from. And what this is about, this is not baptism. This is preparation. This is praying for protection, guidance, direction, that God's Holy Spirit would be around them, that they would, you know, be led to that point of maturity where they make a decision to be, of course, baptized. You know, and of course, there's a lot of, lot of, lot of things that's got to go along with that, such as train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from that. Okay, that's the responsibility of the parents there, but... But this is what blessing the little children is all about, okay? And it's, it's a, I always sort of get broken up when I watch that. Uh, reminds me of when our daughter was, 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 was a blessed. But what is baptism? Romans 6 and, 4, 6 and verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Okay, so what is baptism? Well, baptism is the, first of all, it symbolizes the burial and death, now get this, the death of the old man. Uh, now, I've heard of people, you know, okay, and I, I sort of disagree with, well, I was saved at age 8, or I was saved at age 12, or whatever. I was, I was baptized at age 12, you know. I don't necessarily uh, 
agree that there's enough maturity level at that point. Um, you know, and I may go through a little bit more about this a little bit later. But anyway, let's stick to the point here. Uh, okay, then after you die in the grave, you're, you're going to be raised from the dead. The objective of being raised from the dead is to walk in newness of life, as it says here. Next verse says, For we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of, of his resurrection. That's a future event, but we're going to be resurrected, you know, when Christ returns uh, to glory, a new body. No more pain, no more suffering. United with loved ones, all the wonderful things that we want. Knowing this, okay, next verse. That our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin may be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. So the goal, okay, why am I baptized? Well, this says that the body of sin might be destroyed, and that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now, obviously, this is not an overnight process. I thought it would be. <laughs> I thought it would be when I was baptized that I would never sin again. Boy, was I deceived at that point, you know. I really was. I didn't want to sin again, but, you know, there's a reason we have a living high priest who is seated at the right hand of God, ready to make intercession for us, if need be, on a daily basis, you know. That, that, there's a reason we have a high priest. Okay. And uh, Christ did not, you know, he died to forgive us of our sins, but he also lives to be a living high priest to forgive us our sins when we come to him. Okay, when? When should you be baptized? When do you know you are ready? My father struggled with this question. He always said, well, how do I know when I'm ready? And I think he was something like 60 years old. And I, you know, maybe I forget, Anselm, but, but somewhere 64 when he, finally, when he finally made that decision. And, uh, but his excuse was, how do I know when I'm ready? And I think he did use it as an excuse to put it off baptism. Because that was always his wonderful, you know, that, that one question he always said, how will I know when I'm ready? Well, the simple answer is when you're convicted of sin. When you're at the maturity level that you know what sin is. And what is sin? 1 John 3, 4, sin is the breaking of God's law. That's how you know when you're ready, when God brings you to that conviction. Uh, Acts 2 and verse 38, And Peter said to them, we're talking about when, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, or at, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now there's a little condition there, and that is as many as our Lord shall call. It takes a calling from God. This says the promises unto you and, and your children. I don't think, I think this is a generalized statement. I do not think it means that children should be, you know, or necessarily should be baptized. There needs to be a maturity level to the point where they can be convicted of sin. Let's face reality. You can't be convicted of sin you can't be convicted of, of, of sexual sins before puberty, before the hormones have even kicked in. 
before you even know, you know, okay, uh, all right, you can't be convicted of that. So there's a, a maturity level where they can be convicted of sin. And that's the reason for the blessing of the little children is that, you know, you're preparing them and you're praying and you're hoping that one day they will reach that maturity level where they will make that decision for themselves. Now that's an important point. So many churches, you know, their parents talk them into being baptized at a very early age, you know. And it's basically something, well, everybody else was doing it, and then this the guy, and my friends are doing it, and so I think I'll do it. Okay, no, there needs to be a maturity level. Uh, and I think you probably know as well as I do why parents would encourage this. It's like trying to get the cart in front of the horse. <laughs> you know, if I could just get them down in the water, I don't have to, you know, whether they die accidental death, uh, no matter what happens to them, they're saved, sanctified, and they're heaven bound. Okay, I understand the motive, but I also understand what the Bible says, that you've got to have the maturity level to know what sin is. Okay, all right. We're talking about the subject of when. When John had first preached before the coming, uh, preached before his coming, that's talking about Jesus, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now, this, the baptism of repentance. Okay, I got in my notes. Example of Thomas. Explain. I have no idea what that's connected to. <laughs> oh, Thomas. <laughs> Thomas. Okay, Tom. Okay. We had a guy here one time. <laughs> you know, my notes deceive me. Uh, write notes and don't know what they're talking about. Uh, but uh, we used to have a guy that came here and he said he thought, now he was not baptized into, in the church of God, what we call the church of God, which would be Sabbath keeping, holy day keeping, you know, the acknowledgement of those things. Okay. But he was convinced that his baptism was a baptism of repentance, even though he didn't know, quite know. And so he said, I would like to have the laying on of hands performed here. And we'll go through that later. And we did that. So that was his choice. You know, if someone comes up to me and says, look, I think my baptism was a baptism of repentance. I'm not going to tell them no. You know, I'm going to, you know, and if they want to be, have hands laid on them for the receiving of the Holy Spirit, I'm more, and we did that here. And that's, that's, that's an example that I want to give you. But how can you repent of sin if you don't know what sin is? And that may be Satan's one of, you know, agendas to keep that hidden. 1 John 3, 4, sin is the breaking of God's law. He probably has an agenda. I'm going to blind people to that knowledge. I'm going to keep them blind. I'm going to blind their eyes and not let them know, you know, uh, what, what that is, what that truly is. Okay, I like that. Okay, John the Baptist. Baptism of repentance. I like that. Uh, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and, and thy house. And they spake unto him the words of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and, he, and was baptized, he and all his straightway. Notice the verse 32. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord. What were those words? 
We don't know. It's not recorded. But it's a little bit more than just, I believe in Jesus. I can guarantee you that. Okay. They spake unto him the word of the Lord, which probably included sin is the breaking of God's law. You know, you need to receive the Spirit of God. All these things. Okay. Okay. If you are baptized and you don't know breaking the Sabbath is a sin, will you be convicted of that in your local church? Let's say Sunday keeping church. It's doubtful. How about if that church teaches a no law theology? Law's been abolished, you're going to be nailed to the. Will you learn? Now, can God lead you to that knowledge? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, you know, we've had a ton of people, well, the churches of God, most people in the church of God came out of Baptist, Catholic. Now, you talk about, with my experience, okay, this is just my opinion, in dealing with uh, people with, is that really in the Bible, and comments. Sometimes I think we can get a little bit arrogant. But you really want to see some arrogancy? Talk to a Catholic. I mean, they will just plain outright tell you. Read the Athanasian Creed, for pity's sake, and see what that says. If you don't believe this, you don't believe in the Trinity, you are not saved. You cannot be saved. And the response is, uh, look, this is the universe, in which Catholic means universal universal religion. It is the one true church. It is the only church. And if you don't belong to it, you're basically going to burn. That's, I mean, believe me, I dealt with that before. This absolute confidence of being a Catholic. Okay. Now, when we talk about the Sabbath and like the holy days, the New Testament church didn't have this problem. They didn't have to explain you know, the Sabbath and the holy days or anything like that. They, they, their hang-up was more like you got to be circumcised to be saved, which is about like the dumbest thing I ever heard of. I mean, who come up with that one? And, uh, you know, it's like an obsession with this, uh, this subject, you know, circumcision. You know, someone asked one time, how, how did you tell? How would you know? I mean, well, did, you, did you have a stick where you come up and sort of lift up their robe and, you know, or whatever? Uh, Oh, you're saved, you know, whatever. You know, I don't know. How did they know? But, uh... And that would pertain to just the men. Just, that's a good point. It pertained just to the men. Yeah. It didn't really pertain to the women. They sort of left out of that one. <laughs> I guess they couldn't be saved. Yeah, I guess they couldn't be saved. <laughs> I never thought about that. That is a great point, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, all right, Acts 19 and verse 4. Then it said Paul, John verily preached, uh, baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him who should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, why did John point them to Christ? Well, so they could be forgiven. You know, he, he, John taught a, me, a, a message of repentance, but, he's, but he pointed them to Christ because that's how you're going to be forgiven, by, God's, by Christ's sacrifice and his grace. Now, there's something about John the Baptist preaching that we need today. I'm going to show you what it is. <laughs> 
Here it is. I mean, here's these people coming to John the Baptist, and this is amazing. Uh, Luke 3 and verse 10. And the people asked him, John, saying, What shall we do? And he answered and said to them, He that has two coats, let him impart to him that has none. And he that has meat, let him do likewise. All right? Then came also the publicans. Now, now get this. Now, here were those nasty publicans uh, who had their own self-righteousness off. You know, the, well, the Pharisees, but, but the publicans and the Pharisees, whatever. Okay. They had their own form of self-righteousness. But here they are coming to John, and they're saying, what shall we do And uh, to be baptized? And he said to him, Master, what, what shall we do? And he said to them, exact no more than which is appointed you. And then the soldiers... Likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? So they're coming, and John is issuing out, you know, I mean, think about it. Wouldn't that be cool today? If someone set you down and told you and explained this, this is how your life is screwed up. Now, this is before baptism, okay? This is how your life has been screwed up, and this is what you need to do to fix it. I tell you, and, and John will go on to basically to say, your baptism is invalid unless you bear fruit. God will cut that tree down. Okay. Now, I think, I know for me personally, and I have a series back there in baptism counseling, but it's not enough. I think, you know, hindsight 2020, we, we should ask before baptism, okay, what do you struggle with? What is your baby that you really have that, you know, okay, you're, you're, obviously you're coming here to be forgiven, but what do you struggle with? And have more in-depth counseling in that area to, to make people aware that it's just, it's a little bit more to it than, than often what is presented in mainstream Christianity. Now, is Christ's message any different? You know, again, on Google, there was this question, why did John preach a baptism of repentance? What a stupid question. <laughs> why did John preach? What else was he supposed to preach? <laughs> what else did Jesus preach? A baptism of repentance. Why would people ask dumb questions like that? But they do. We've lost it, you know, in the area of, of I mean, just our connectivity with God. Acts 20 and verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greek, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now why tarry thou, arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Call on the name of the Lord. So we're dealing with the subject of when. Okay. Now that next one, count the cost. We're talking about baptism. Okay. This is a critical issue. Count, counting the cost. Uh, Luke 9 and verse 23, And he said to them, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantage if he gains the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? I mean, what is Christ saying? He is saying there is a cost when you go down in the waters of baptism. Can you understand this at age eight? 
Well, you can barely understand it at age 30. You know. Uh, and it's a little expression. You know, to me, our society is about gaining the whole world. The riches, the materialism, the, the, the wealth, the, the whatever is out there to grasp. You know, it's, it's a pursuit of things that we now, now as you get older, you, you get over that, believe me. But as a young man, I, I did that, you know, trying to gain everything that's in the world. But, it, but you wise up and, and, you know, you realize, well, look, I've gotten everything I ever dreamed of. And still, it still doesn't make me happy, you know. <laughs> still not happy after all this. Uh, but that's, okay, but Christ is saying, what advantage is it if you gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Counting the cost. Look at this one, Luke 22 and verse 42. Saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You talk about a cost. What did it cost Christ? At what age did Christ fully realize his mission? I've always wondered this, and I don't know the answer. I know at age 12, he was in the temple, you know, and his parents lost him. And he was back there in the temple talking to the doctors and the scribes. And, and, uh, but Christ, every year, went to the Passover. And he would watch those lambs be slaughtered. At what point, at what age did he realize that represents me, the Lamb of God, that will be slaughtered. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what I don't know what age that was, but there came a day when he realized fully and absolutely his mission for being here on earth. And you read the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah 56, I forget 53, I forget where it's at. The suffering Messiah. And you realize None of this stuff is good. None of, it, none of it is pleasant. At what age did he fully realize his mission? Did he ever fantasize that his father would work it out another way? Probably so. Probably so. Probably hoping that. My point is, there is a cost. There is a cost, and we are to count the cost. Acts 5 and verse 29, Then Peter and the others, apostles, answered and said, what ought, We ought to obey God rather than man. Now here's a cost. We ought to obey God rather than man. You talk about counting the cost. Should we always obey the government? Should we always obey? You know, there's a lot of Christians that will tell you, yep. Follow the government right into the death chambers of, you know, of hell and, and say you're doing God's will. If they, if they, if they send you to just like uh, in Germany, yeah. concentration, camps. concentration camps and the, the Jews on trains would ride by churches and the churches would just sing louder mm -hmm. so they wouldn't hear the squeaks and screams of the Jews being carried off to the gas chambers. We'll just praise God a little bit louder so we can't hear that. <clears throat> How about the three Hebrew boys? They're called upon to worship the golden idol. And they have to decide, are we going to be faithful to God or are we going to be faithful to the government? You know. 
And they made the decision to be faithful to God. You know, if God will, he can deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. But if not, we're not worshiping your idols. Man, counting the cost. Romans 12 and verse 1, a living sacrifice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, that's a mouthful. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. And I know it's corny, and I've said it a thousand times, but the only problem with a living sacrifice is it's always trying to crawl off the... the, 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 the uh, <laughs> The altar. <laughs> and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A living sacrifice. Be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, counting the cost. Okay, why? Or how? I think that should have been a how. Why? Why to receive the Spirit of God? How? It's got to be how. Yeah. Must be a misprint. Yeah. Teresa, why'd you do this? Why to receive the Spirit of God? Why? How to receive the Spirit yeah. of God? Okay. Probably the greatest misunderstood purpose for baptism. How to receive the Spirit of God. Receiving the Spirit of God. You know, again, I, I, I mentioned in the Christian church, this was off Google, the religious rite of sprinkling water into a person's forehead, uh, symbolizing admission to a Christian church, uh, performed on young children, and is accompanied by name giving. Notice there's no mention of receiving the Spirit of God. Isn't that ironic that with baptism, there's no mention of receiving the Spirit of God? For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from hence. Uh, Acts 2 and verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Three things here. Repent. The baptism of repentance. Be, you know, baptism, burial of the old man in the name of Jesus Christ so that you can be forgiven. Third, so that you can receive the Holy Spirit of God. Three things, three critical things. Okay, how to receive the Spirit of God? Uh, Acts 8 and verse 12. But when they believed uh, Philip's preaching, the things concerning the kingdom of God... Notice the message was about the kingdom of God. What is that? It's the soon coming government of God on this earth that we're going to reign as kings and priests. So says your Bible. Our bodies are going to be transformed into spirit beings like God is, bulletproof, uh, <laughs> which will be critical. Uh, <clears throat> nuclear bomb proof. Uh, Okay, explaining the things concerning the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. All right, there you, there you have an answer, both men and women there. 
Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he, he continued with Philip and wondering and beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, is this just a one-time event? Why is this in the Bible? One of the reasons we put so much emphasis on the laying on of hands is because we feel that it's a critical issue you know, in the process, you know, after a person is baptized, they come up out of the water and we lay our hands on this person's head. And we ask the God to give him a portion of his spirit. You know, Ron Dart tells a story about he was doing a, a Bible study on the laying on of hands. And he told his elderly minister, well, I, shoot, I can come up with that in just a few, won't take 15 minutes for me to come up with that. And, and the guy, the elder said, wait a minute, wait a minute. So get you a word concordance and you'd study the laying out of hands. And he was amazed at how much information through the Old and New Testament is on this subject of laying on a hand. When kings came to power, they were, had, had hands laid on them. Anointings, healings, transference of blessings, uh, little children, blessing of little children, receiving the Holy Spirit, Ordaining ministers, laying on of hands. Uh, setting someone aside for special use, the laying on of hands. It's a, it's a ton of information in the Bible about that subject. So it's not just uh, you know, a one-time event. Notice this one, Acts 11 and verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, some people would read this and say, well, look, they were just preaching, speaking, and the Spirit came upon them. Well, the laying on of hands is not important. No, it's not that. This is what it is. God uses some over-the-top examples to show us that salvation was going to go to the Gentiles. This is an example of an over-the-top example. I mean, look, they're preaching. They hadn't been baptized. They hadn't accepted Christ as their personal Savior. They hadn't done any of those things. They hadn't had hands laid on them for the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit comes upon these Gentiles to get through their thick head. Salvation is going to go. It's an over-the-top example. Now, you don't build doctrines on over-the-top examples. Another over-the-top example is uh, rise, Peter, kill and eat. <laughs> you know, and people take the over-the-top example and say that means we can eat anything we want to eat. We can eat cockroaches, we can eat whatever, bats and rats and cat. I can eat my dog, I can eat my cat, I'm going to fry him up tonight, you know, whatever. No, that, that, in other words, that vision of the sheet was there to show that salvation was going to, you know, you shall not call any man common or unclean. For God has shown me I shouldn't call any man common or unclean. Salvation was going to go to the Gentiles. There is a method for receiving the Holy Spirit, which includes laying on of hands. Acts 19 verse 1. 
And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. And he said to them, Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there be a Holy Spirit. Could the same problem exist today? Yeah, I mean, I think people have heard of it, but they haven't. what they haven't heard is the method for receiving the Holy Spirit. I think it's lost today in the method for receiving the Holy Spirit of God and even the understanding of the Holy Spirit. Read the Athanasian, Athanasian Creed by the Catholic Church if you want to be confused about what the Holy Spirit is. You, you, you're, you'll go out of there and your mind will be like a pinball machine on tilt. You know, it's going to tilt. I don't even understand what this is, but unless I believe it, I can't be saved. But I don't understand a single word I just read. Okay. And he said to them, Unto what were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that you should believe on him which should come after him, that is, is on Christ. In other words, uh, repent and you look to Christ for forgiveness. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. So the importance of the laying on of hands and receiving of the Spirit of God. You know, one of the things that we ask for when we lay on, lay on of hands is that God, you know, give this person your Holy Spirit. In addition to that, when we lay hands on we say, God, whatever gifts you want this person to have. We, ask, we don't tell God what to give, you know, of course. <laughs> but, but Lord, whatever gift you want this person to have, give this person your, the gift of your Holy Spirit. In this case, it was the ability to speak in languages, which made perfect sense because they had been told, go ye therefore into all the world, make disciples. Well, how are we going to do that if we can't communicate gifts of languages? Um, the meaning behind the gift go into all the world. This was not some kind of gibberish that no one could understand. This was not a carnival show. This was not people jumping, jumping church pews or anything like that. It was a meaning, the meaning behind the gift is I can speak in your language and I can communicate to you because I have the gifts of tongues. I mean, let's face reality. Do we need the gifts of tongues here right now? Mm -mm. Nope. Who can't understand me? You may need a hearing aid, but, but that's beside the point. But, you know, uh, it's, 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 you know, we communicate. So we don't need the gift of languages here today. We don't need the gift of tongues here today. But if we had some Hispanics, and believe me, we do have Hispanics in our workplace, and I would love to have the gift of tongues in some cases, because I don't have a clue as to what they're saying. I don't know if they're cussing me out. I don't know what they're doing. But they're talking very quickly. But uh, <laughs> Romans 8 and verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Again, I, I think there's three points about Satan's deception concerning this verse. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. First one, the first deception that I think people fall into. One is they believe they're born with the Spirit of God. Okay, 
I've met people who have said, look, I have been a seeker after God all my life. It's like since I came out of the womb, I was, you know, I was seeking God since I was three. I was studying. I was, I was reading. I've been a seeker. It is hard to convince those people that they need to receive the Spirit of God because they think they're born with it. Okay, second one. That's one great deception. You're not born with the Spirit of God. You are incomplete, missing that spiritual element that would make you complete. And that is God's DNA. Number two, because I'm religious, I have the Spirit of God. You'd be amazed at the people that believe because they go to church, they're right with God, they're a true Christian, they, they have the Spirit of God, because they're religious, because they go through the motion of church going. It's an assumption. Because I'm religious, I must have the Spirit of God. Not so. Not, there's a method for receiving it. Number three is the counterfeit gifts of the Spirit, which could include the spirit of laughter. You can watch that on YouTube and look it up, spirit of laughter in church. Feel-good religion, out of control. We watched a video here one time of a guy, you know, jumped up on top of this thing right here. And, and you know, it just, it was, it was absolute craziness. But it was a church. And it, there's no way you could have convinced them that this, that's not, that's a counterfeit spirit. That is not the spirit of God making you act like a buffoon. Okay. But you, you couldn't convince those people in a million years of that. First uh, Corinthians, I don't have it written here, but First Corinthians 14 verse 32 says, And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. What does that mean? That means I'm in control of what I say and what I do. That means I don't, for some strange reason, jump up on top here. I'd hit my head. My head would go through the ceiling, by the way. Uh, or I don't just take a dive and, and start, you know, wallow on the ground laughing like a hyena or something like that. I, I don't do that. I'm, I'm in control of, of what's, what I'm doing here. Okay. Spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Okay. You're in control. If it's out of control, if you're in an environment that is out of control, you need to ask the question, who's in control of that nonsense? Okay, is it, is it God? I don't think so. Is it God's spirit? All right, a few more verses. Uh, to wash away sins, baptism, Acts 22 and verse 16, and now why tarry thou, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now we know this is symbolism. The symbolism of baptism is that it, you know, to wash, we know that Christ is the one that actually cleanses us from sin. We understand that. But here, the symbolism of baptism is with the water to wash away and, and, the, and the representation of the burial of the old man to wash away sin. Part of salvation. Baptism. Mark 16, verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now this is the great commission. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. Notice that. Go into all the world. Preach. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. All right. Acts 10 and verse 43. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believes in him shall receive 
remission of sin. That is forgiveness of sin. Okay, commanded. A lot of people disagree with this one. It's commanded baptism, okay? Acts 2 and verse 38, Then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is not a suggestion. It's not just, well, if you know, if you feel like you can do it, you know, that's okay. There may be some exceptions with elderly people and things like that, you know. I mean, I'm not saying, but, but for the most part, we, you can get anybody down in the water even though they may not like it. You know, some people have a fear of water coming over their head. You know, but uh, Sandra Jones had a fear of that. Um, but it didn't bother me a bit uh, to baptize her. <laughs> Acts 3 and verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Again, we're just dealing with the subject that it's an absolute command. Acts 10 and verse 48. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days, to stay there certain days. How? Well, okay, how? By water. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That'd be a good place to be baptized, would it not? It's probably freezing cold, by the way, but maybe not. Then comes Jesus from Galilee to Jordan and to John to be baptized of him. Christ. Why, why did Christ be baptized? There's only one reason. To set us an example. I mean, did Christ need to be baptized? No. He was baptized at age 30 also. Does that mean you've got to wait till you're 30? No, it doesn't mean that. It just means, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. It just means... He was baptized at age 30, but again, I just want to emphasize there has to be a maturity level to understand a certain maturity level, maturity level to understand what sin is. Acts 8 and verse 36, and as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart that you, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And of course, he was baptized. In John 3 and verse 23, and John also was baptizing in an area because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. So immersion in water is the point. By whom? Who, who does this? Who baptizes you? Uh, John 3 and verse 22. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. So a disciple of Christ is the one who baptizes you. It's not just any Tom, Dick, or Harry standing on the street corner. No, it's a disciple of Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, into the body of Christ. It was a lady that I baptized well, I'll just tell her, I'll tell you that. Marla. And her question was, do I have to join your church to be baptized? I said, no, you don't. I said, you're not baptized into a church. You're baptized into the body of Christ. It's very, I have very little to do, you know. You're, you're, you are baptized into the body of Christ. So it's, it's not admission to a Christian church. It's not, it, it, it's not an organization. It's not a church denomination. 
You're baptized into the body of Jesus Christ. In the last slide, I believe, yes, 47. We want to know, okay, what are you baptized into? This, this sort of explains it right here. Hebrews 12 and verse 23. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn. That's going to be the firstborn from the dead, by the way. You know, first resurrection, firstborn from the dead, which are written in heaven, basically meaning that you've been called, and to God the judge of all men, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Again, to the spirits of just men made perfect, that's a process. That is a process. It doesn't mean just because you're baptized, you, you know, you, all of a sudden you got this perfect spirit. Because believe me, I can testify to that. That's not true. But it's a process of getting there. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a spiritual operation that God is involved in on you. Just like a doctor. You go and you, you know, maybe your doctor, you have an operation, a major operation of taking things out and throwing them away. They rarely put them back or whatever. They're good at cutting things out and, and tossing them or whatever, but or giving you medication. But this is a spiritual operation that God does on you through His Holy Spirit. A spiritual operation of making just men, you know, making men to reach that ultimate point of perfection that will be at the resurrection when the trump sound and you awake, if you're dead, you awake to a you know, from the dead, totally oblivious to the passage of time that's gone by, whether it's a hundred or a thousand years, it doesn't matter, but you're, you're, you're totally oblivious. To, to you, it's going to seem like that. You die and then boom, you're, 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 you're raising from the dead. You're going to be totally unaware of the passage of time because you're asleep in the grave. And then you're going to look at your body, and your body is going to be a translucent, glowing spirit body full of power, and immortality, no longer, no more death, no more suffering. The kind of energy, I don't even think we can imagine in the flesh the kind of energy you're going to have. The kind of power you're going to have. The things you'll be able to do under God's authority, under God's rulership, under God's leadership. The things that he will, he'll, he'll want you to do. And I've often fantasized about things like traveling at the speed of thought and uh, making things right. There's a lot of things I would like to make right. You know, James was talking about this morning about just what a corrupt, evil, rotten world we live in and how rude and crude people are. I'd like to put a stop to that, you know. And, uh, you know, it's like that. It'd be nice not to be able to be hurt, you know. No one can hurt me anymore. <laughs> that would be power. Okay, so to the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn, from the dead, which are written, which will be you, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirit of just men made perfect. This is what you ultimately will be baptized, are baptized into. You're baptized into the body of Christ, but this is the goal right here that Jesus Christ has for you. For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service, and be sure to visit our free bookstore.
Again, the website is isthatreallyinthebible.net. If you would like more information or if you have any questions, write to Is That Really in the Bible? 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia 24151. Or visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net.